Hello, everybody. So today we are going to be talking about panic disorders. Um, this is something that probably has been kept quiet for quite a while, up until maybe the past 10 years, I think we were discussing earlier. And I want to introduce to you Melinda, who has a panic disorder, along with some other stuff we're going to be talking about. And I do too. So we're going to be sharing back and forth and hopefully be able to help those out there that have panic disorders, or maybe just give some information that they can share with other people that have them. So welcome, Melinda. Hi, thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being on here. I really appreciate it. And all the time you're putting in this. Okay, so let's start with when you had your first panic attack. Yes, Um, I was in high school. And I wouldn't call it as like a necessarily massive or full-blown panic attack. It was Mm -hmm. what I consider now a relatively mild one, but, you know, scary nonetheless. It was, you know, like I said, in high school, during nine-week testing, stressors at home, stressors of just being a teenager, you know, and um, it was just that, that one time, though, regardless of the amount of anxiety I had in all other aspects of my life. Um, but my real struggle didn't, uh, start until, uh, November, 2018 or November 9th. Cause I could always remember the day. Cause it was just, just rough. And you remember stuff like that, but and um, I'll remember for now yeah. on, because that's my daughter's birthday. Oh, see, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, I'll always remember when you had your first big one. <laughs> first big one. Yeah. So, um, it just, you know, it was one really like four, four and a half hours long of just, not being able to breathe and the shade coming down and, you know, just the shakes and just all this stuff that just scares you. And okay, then but was- I'm going to have to stop you because there's people out there that don't know symptoms of a panic disorder. And I realize, yes. or panic attack, I realize that yours could be different, but um, we, we did look up some stuff. And so a lot of them, I think you do have, and I do have. And so mm-hmm. go ahead and share what you actually went through. Okay. Well, for me, um, with my panic attacks, I can now configure when they're coming on. And I feel like there's a shade that comes down and I get, sometimes I get tunnel vision, but I get sweaty and I start just feeling it head to toe, like tingles. Um, I sometimes cannot breathe. I feel like I'm like struggling for for breath. Um, and sometimes I get a little shaky, but it's more so I can't breathe. I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. It's so does your chest just, hurt? Not necessarily or is it hurt, real fast. Like my heart's like just going Racing. insane. And you know, and I can't, like I said, I'm not able to breathe. So it, it feels what I, I guess would feel like a a heart attack would be, you know, I've never had one, but that's the only way I could like explain it at mm-hmm. the time. Um, just because yeah, I have heart palpitations, like bumping out of my chest. Okay. Um, and like, like you said, it is different for everyone, but those are the main things that I experience when I'm having a panic attack. Um, I, be- before you go on, I think I'm going to just go ahead and read. So so they understand I'm on WebMD. That's what I normally use that or Mayo Clinic. Mm-hmm. 
when we discuss any type of medical stuff and panic disorder is, is part of a mental um, disorder. So Mm -hmm. it goes along with all that. So they say panic disorder is when you've had at least two panic attacks, you feel terrified and overwhelmed, even though you're not in any danger. And constantly worry and change your routine to keep from having another one. It's a type of anxiety disorder. So one in 10 adults in the U.S. have a panic attack each year. And they usually begin between the ages of 15 and 25. About a third of people have one in their lifetime. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel sorry for them. Yeah, most of them, a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Most, most of them don't have panic disorder. Only about 3% of adults have it, and it's more common in women than in men. So that was that, was that part. Mm-hmm. Just a minute here. Because I had one of the symptoms. Well, of course I wouldn't. Okay. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to ask you these questions. Okay. Because this is a list that they've come up with. Um, So panic attacks are intense periods of fear or feelings of doom developing over a very short time frame, up to 10 minutes. I've had some last longer than 10 minutes. Yeah, I would. If I have to have these panic attacks, that would be the time frame to aim for because mine can last hours at times I would love to just uh, it only be 10 minutes but that probably feels like 10 hours so yeah uh, yeah I can vouch for that <laughs> yeah okay so it says um so um they can be associated with at least four of the following so you just say yes or no for each one that I mentioned okay overwhelming fear of losing control or going crazy. Yes. Palpitations. Yes. Sweating. Yes. Trembling. Every now and then, yeah. Shortness of breath. Yes. Sense of choking. Yes. Chest pain. Every now and then. Not a lot. More like pressure for okay. me. Nausea. Yes. Dizziness. Yes. This is the one that I like that we kind of, I think we both had the same thing. We're just describing it different, but a feeling of being detached from the world. Right. When you say this, this thing comes down, Mm -hmm. that's my detachment. Okay. Yeah. When I say, I feel like it's like, I don't belong uh, with everybody around me. It's not that Mm -hmm. I can't see what they're doing or hear what they're doing or anything. I just feel detached. Yeah. Yeah. And for, and for me, it's just, it's a different feeling. It's, you know, like I said, it feels like, you know, that's my indicator that, Hey, something's up. And it, it's almost just like, like if you were to drain all the color out of me, like starting from the top all the way to the bottom. And then by the time it's at the bottom, like, I'm just, I'm done. Like panic attack is in full force. And it, like I said, I'm very aware of everything. I'm like hypersensitive to it. So, you know, the light, or if the kids are making noises, you know, for me, I just feel like I'm just so sensitive to everything while I'm 
heavy the panic attack. Um, I would love to be able to just like completely, you know, check out mentally and detach myself from like everything just to try but to. That's not what it just, is. That's yeah, a, I just can't. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's not detaching. It's like you don't belong. Like everybody's out there doing their thing and they're and they're having a right. good time and stuff, and you're the only one that's feeling this way. And right, it's, okay, it's that more makes of sense. that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're yeah. almost like isolated. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then the next one is fear of dying. Yes. And then I wonder why this says this twice. Um, numbness or tingling in the limbs or entire body. Yeah. Those are the tingles that I get from like head to toe. It's weird. And I think that comes from hyperventilating. Yeah, maybe. Because I mean, it, it starts at the beginning. So at times it'll start before I even am in full blown panic attack. And it's like, that's almost like my one little indicators. It's so odd. And then chills or hot flashes. Yes. And, and in, I can, I can honestly say in every one of those, when I had a panic attack, I had every one of those except for nausea. I don't know why, but the dizziness. And then I fainted where you, I don't think you ever fainted. Did you? No, I mean, that is crazy as a sound that's almost would be like welcoming to me because it's just so scary to go through it. And I'm just no, like, I just want to fall asleep. <laughs> see, you fall asleep. I can't fall yeah. asleep. My heart is racing and everything. But when what scares me with fainting is that you can hit your head. You can you, you right. can hurt yourself. It, yeah, or like maybe like more falling asleep. Yeah, it, right. I'd rather fall asleep yeah. than faint. Yeah. Um, and my fainting, I know, is coming from hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it, I think I probably in the past when that was happening, waited probably too long to get help. Oh, right. And I wasn't I didn't know all the things I know, know how to breathe and what to do. So exactly. Um, Early on, it's always just so scary. It's scary. OK, so. As you guys can see, we both kind of had the same symptoms, so. I think those are generalized. And so those are things that you guys can recognize in yourselves if you're having them, or if somebody else has talked to you and explained things that were happening and didn't know, maybe you'll be able to more understand, have an understanding of what they're going through. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got that down there. Now, how did you start dealing with them? Did you see a counselor? Did you do your own educating? What, what happened? Well, that after that first weekend of having the massive one and then having a bunch of little ones, I did finally go into like a prompt care that next Monday. And they gave me, they gave me like 10 Xanax and kind of sent me on my way saying, you know, take these throughout the week and maybe it'll help chill you out to the point where you'll be good. And then I had to follow up with my doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that appointment for me wasn't, I want to say it was maybe that week after, like that week before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. um, got in and they put me on medication just after hearing my background, you know, of, you know, I have, um, irritable bowel syndrome, that's diarrhea prominent. So there's a lot of the stress there and, you know, just a lot of stretch from my childhood into my teen years. They're just like, okay, let's just try this medication. So they put me on Lexapro. And so Lexapro? Uh, that is just um, a medication that helps deal with um, 
um, well, they have it for me for my generalized panic disorder, which is what they diagnosed me with. Um, I think it's for other, um, you know, mental illness things. I haven't really researched too much into what it is. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, please do. Because I mean, honestly, for me, you know, I, I have it for my panic attacks. So it says Lexapro for panic disorder. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what it's going to cover. So an anxiety med. Yep, exactly. So I, had, you know, she said, you know, I'll see you back in six months. Well, then I had another massive panic attack that next week on Thanksgiving that landed me in the emergency room. Um, so we followed up with the doctor and she actually did add Xanax to my medication routine. So did you ever happen to check is Xanax more potent than the, what was it, Lexapro? Oh, I'm sure it is because it's a, it's a controlled substance. So I had to sign a controlled substance waiver saying, you know, Hey, no, no. So I, you know, I was scared to take it. You know, it took me three days after that first massive or for after that first uh, appointment to be brave enough to take it. Like I knew it was going to help, but I'm, I'm nervous about taking new meds. And, you know, when you're having a panic attacks and you're not sure how you're going to react to these meds, it can get scary. Um, so after my doctor's visits and everything, got all my medication, I just really started researching uh, cognitive behavioral therapy exercises. Um, I studied it in school, which, you know, helped a little bit, um, but I well, started. A lot of people don't know what cognitive means. I yes, do. So... I majored in psychology, but a lot yes. of people don't. So yeah. You, so if you know that? anything about psychology, it's, you know, the study of people and anything from your brain to your body to everything involved. So when it comes to um, cognitive behavioral therapy, for me, it was just training my brain how to cope with this in certain ways, you know, so I would try to remember a song that I loved in high school that I could say word for word back then, but can I write down word for word now? So if I start feeling a panic attack coming on, I will, you know, try to do that or. So is that kind of a method of distracting you from what was going on with your body? Yeah, a little bit, you know, when your, your brain is so, is going to be so focused on trying to fix what is going on with your body that sometimes you have to kind of take yourself out of that element and be like, let's try this over here. Um, So I would do word searches, um, you know, write down the lyrics to my favorite song, write down my lyrics to a song I loved back in high school. But I'm finding that reading now has actually been helping a lot. So I'll just grab a book that I'm into and just read a chapter, try to engage my brain in something other than fighting the panic attack. Because the more you fight on the panic attack, the worse for me, it made it just trying to get out of it. Just so did you figure that out for yourself or is that something that you yeah well my my aunt used to deal with them and I would um I was explaining to her what was going on she goes you just need to not focus worry about it she's like just don't fight it and I'm thinking how am I gonna not fight this thing that I'm trying to not have Mm -hmm. and I eventually just kind of realized you know this is going to happen whether I want it to happen or not. And if I can just try to relax and get myself into a mindset where I'm focusing on other things, it may make it a little bit better. It took a lot of practice. So, I mean, I'm three years in and I still struggle with it. 
but I'm also catching it earlier. I, you know, if I'm feeling anxious during the day, I'm like, okay, you know what, this could lead to, you know, unpleasant things later. So I'm going to take a minute and I'm just going to read, or I'm going to take a minute. I'm going to meditate or, you know, just try to catch it before it happens, but it takes practice. So, you know, one of the things that people used to ask me when I was going through them and uh, people didn't have understanding of them whatsoever, which I get because I think you really have to experience it to understand just how awful it feels and how scary Mm -hmm. it is. And they just have a hard time when they look at you because you look like you're fine. Yeah. You know, um, that they didn't understand what was so big about it. Yeah. Um, kind of lost my train of thought there. It's an internal struggle is what it is. So you said you were had a friend who you were talking to about. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter right now. It'll, it'll come back to me. Yeah. So go ahead. But no, like I said, it's an internal struggle. So yeah, you can look totally normal on the outside. You know, for me, when I have my massive ones, I lay in bed. And probably the most outward thing you can notice on me if I'm not shaking during that one is my deep breathing. And other than that, I probably just look like I'm laying there. Um, So yeah, you definitely have to experience it to fully understand it and appreciate what a person goes through as far as the struggle that it takes to get through one. Um, However, I, I hope people, I hope people don't, I would rather people just, you know, watch (laughs) things like this yeah and just you know take what they can from people who experience them and just apply that towards whoever is in their life that deals with them be like you know what I I heard this thing and I understand what you're going through because I wouldn't wish this on anybody it's it's rough yeah um I I remember what I was going to say so (laughs) she she um would actually come over and sit with me Mm -hmm. and uh and I, I was fine with that because at, at the time that these were first starting and my husband was with me, he didn't really know what to do, but I was like you, like, I don't, I didn't want anybody to touch me. And I really didn't even want somebody talking to me. I wanted it to go away is what I wanted. Yeah. Um, but we didn't think about cognitive things. I just kept trying to relax myself you know, do the deep breathing. Now, this was after I had been to the hospital many times, them telling me I, there was nothing wrong with me. Right. Okay. And so I've got it in my head that there's something going on and I've got to get rid of it myself because nobody else has an answer for me. So that was the only thing. And I didn't, I was never told it was a panic attack or an anxiety attack or anything. So, um, and she is a CPN. And so she would, she would do whatever I asked. And that was my big support right then was yes. she was there. Um, she sometimes would just sit in the room, but she wouldn't get up on the bed with me. She would get a chair and she'd turn the TV on low mm-hmm. and she would just be there. And then, and sometimes afterwards I would fall asleep. And sometimes and I'd wake up and they'd be, start coming on again. And okay. she would go get me like a cold washcloth 
Mm-hmm. She wouldn't say anything. She'd just go get me a cold washcloth because I'd be going, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'd be throwing covers off of me, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, right. So, and Tylenol didn't help the pain in my chest right. or you know, whatever. So she basically just whatever, whatever you want me to do for you, you tell me, otherwise I'm just going to shut up. And that's probably the best thing somebody can do mm-hmm. for me anyway, when I was going through them, because right. things, I was so panicky that other things could aggravate me. Oh yeah. When you're in that kind of state of mind where you're scared to death and you're, you feel like everything's out of control. The last thing you want is noise or someone talking your ear off or, you know, Hey, this, or, but of course that's just me. Some people may find comfort in that, but regardless of what side that you're on, on this, um, having a support system is incredibly important. I don't think I could have gotten that. I could get through this without someone being here with me. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, you know, it, there's always like, you know, what happens if I, you know, pass out or what if I need to go to the hospital? I'm like, how would I get myself there? You know, I can't drive during a panic attack. So having a support person. Um, at the beginning of one, yes. A year ago when I um, was supposed to go to my doctor and I couldn't make it, I had a panic attack on the way out. Um, and I actually ended up turning around and got myself to a grocery store. And I, I laid on the floor of my car in the parking lot and did a telehealth with them, just sobbing hysterically and trying to come out of this panic attack and, you know, before being able to go home, you know, my husband, he's calling, he's like, do I need to come get you? I was like, nope, just leave me alone. <laughs> like, I'm either going to get through this and I'll come home or we'll have to call an ambulance. And luckily I made, made it through. Uh, see, I was never to that point where I could have drove when, when mine came on, they came on heavy. And yeah. that's the first thing I did was call an ambulance until after like the fourth and the fifth time when they said there's nothing wrong we've checked everything and right. so, so then you just kind of feel lost and I I'm not a depressive person so I didn't get depressed but I felt very alone and yeah. still very afraid because I knew there was something going on yeah you can definitely get isolated in situations like this mm-hmm. um which is all the more reason, like I said, to have a support person or a support team or whatever, because, you know, if I was trying to do this by myself and I isolate myself as it is when I'm having one, then I'm like, who's gonna, you know, be like, Hey, you need to get up and you need to try to do this, you know, after I've come down from it or after I've woken up from it and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not often that I can drive, but it was kind of one of those situations where I'm like, I gotta get off this road and I need to park somewhere. Um, so it was, it wasn't my worst panic attack that I had at that point. I would, this was 2020. So I was in it for, you know, a little over a year or about a year and a half at that point. How many Um, do you think you were having like in that year, in that time period? Oh goodness. Well, that first from 2018 through the first part of 2019, see, I had like five mini ones that that day after I had that massive one. And so I was, I was having like, I probably had 10 that from like November, 2018 to the beginning of the year, 2019. And then they kind of backed off. They were more mild. 
Um, it's very few and far between now that I get massive ones, but from like 2019 through 2020, I probably had like a dozen. But when um, did you start being medicated? Oh, from, from the get-go. Like, so I went and saw the prompt care like that Monday. And then I think it was like by that next week I was in and saw a doctor. And, you know, like I said, based on just how the stress from, you know, years back of everything that's gone on and some stress from lingering stress from my childhood and just all this stuff, it was just starting to pile up. So they went ahead and, and put me on the Lexapro not long thereafter. Okay. Um, I, I did finish that. So that Lexapro is also for depression. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and that would make sense because they tried putting me on that in high school, but some of the side effects I was scared of, so I never did take it, <laughs> which I'm, you know, kind of kicking myself now because I think it probably could have been beneficial. <laughs> so it says when first introduced in the eighties, um, SSRIs were used to treat depression, which that's mm-hmm. part of the group. Yeah. Now established to be effective in treating panic disorder, SSRIs include medications such as Prozac, Paxil, uh, Lexapro, and that uh, Zoloft, which those are all, none of those are supposed to be addicting. Right. But they all have um, similarities as far as they treat not just anxiety but depression too right um I know my mom was on two of those and they didn't last long enough to help her really right um that was supposed to be in place of Xanax because the big thing about Xanax is it's so addicting yes but I want to tell you about this part because I know you said you're afraid to take Xanax and I mm-hmm. think we started to talk about that. Um, I I don't like taking medications whatsoever. Um, when I was told that I would never live a normal life if I didn't, right. it, it wasn't a question anymore, even though yes. I read all the side effects and I said, oh my gosh, this is addicting. And it's saying that you shouldn't be on it for more than six weeks and right. you know, blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay, but this, we're not talking, and this is a different case in yours, but this is just what he said. Um, and this is my, now not my cardiologist, but my thyroid specialist okay. who's an endocrinologist. And he's the one that finally figured out that this all was together. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So he said, it's never going to go away completely. So I was given two medications. When I read up on the Xanax, it was very scary. And there was a lot of side effects that didn't sound fun at all. Um, I got to tell you that this is just me again. Um, He did start me on a very, very low. The lowest is the 0.25. Right. And that was at the beginning, one every four to six hours okay. because I was having them so often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't feel anything but relief. Right. Yeah. And I eventually got there with that. But I'm just saying, I, I yeah. immediately, I felt nothing but relief. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm on 27 years of being on Xanax. Mm-hmm. Um, am I addicted? Probably. But not in the way that you would think. Like, I don't, I don't have, I don't buy them off the street. I don't have to go get more. You know what I'm saying? Right. I keep, I keep them controlled at what I'm supposed to take. Right. And it's worked for me. And that's good. One of the things, but one of the things, the, the last time I was in the hospital with my cancer that they told me, this is interesting. So this is for everybody. This is interesting. So my original doctor that decided I was depressed or something Mm -hmm. when the uh, thyroid problem was going on and they weren't checking for that. Okay. That original doctor ended up putting in my records, anxiety and depression disorders. I did not know that. I, I never felt depressed ever. Mm-hmm. I started to get that way a little bit, not, not depressed like in somebody. I, I work with people that have depression, not mm-hmm. like that. Like I'm getting, to, I'm going to get depressed if you guys don't figure out what this is because I'm yeah. feeling this way. Absolutely. So, um, but so when I was in the hospital the last time, um, the doctor was putting some notes in for me to be discharged. And he said, did you know that you're, that you, the, in your records, it says that you have a panic and anxiety disorder. And I said, really? And he said, you need to have that changed because that follows you everywhere. And that can determine a whole lot of things. He said, have you ever noticed if you've had to go to the emergency room, the first thing they say to you now is, oh, you're probably having a panic attack. And I remembered when I had my gallbladder out that that's the first thing they said to me when I came in and told them how I was feeling. They opened up my chart and they're like, are you having a panic attack? I'm like, no, why would you say that? Yeah, but you're the expert. (laughs) It's just like, tell me, (laughs) you know, check. But but I couldn't figure out why they would even ask me that when I wasn't even telling them symptoms of that. Right. So anyway, he said to me, so this is just so you guys know out there that you can have something taken out of your records that is put it put in there wrongly, because that can affect you all the way down the line, even as far as jobs, everything. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So when I went to my regular doctor's appointment last month, I and she wasn't the one that put it in there. This was like years ago. That doctor isn't even alive anymore. But you know, they follow the records. And I said, um, can you open up my records? I mean, I I opened them up myself and looked and saw it because of that. My chart. I don't know if you have that kind yeah, of Yeah, we have my chart. I love my chart. Yeah, That's I do. It's a great too. thing to have. It is. So I, I opened that up and sure enough it had that in there. And I was like, Are you kidding me? So I, I said to her, would you open up my, my chart and see what you guys have me in there as number one thing? And mm-hmm. so she went in, she never even thought about it. You know, she's been my doctor for, for years and she knows that I've never over-medicated, that I always have leftovers, you know, right. and that I try to take as least as possible. There's, there's days that I don't take any at all. And mm-hmm. then there might be a day where I take 
two in a day's time, one in the morning and one at night. And right. sometimes it's just to get to sleep, which is kind of unfair because I'm not half a panic attack. Oh, well, you but know, just, if I, you don't take care of yourself, you get sleep, that can also be a factor, at least for right, me right. as well. But um, so she she said, well, I didn't put that in there. And I said, I, I know, I know you didn't because you've never seen me like that, nor have I ever complained to you about that. Right. Um, so I said, but my, my doctor, uh, my oncologist, when I was in the hospital the last time noticed it said that, and he knows me personally and has for years. And he knows that I don't have that. And right. he, he saw that in there and said, you need to get that out of there because that can affect you on different things down the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so she took it out. So I just wanted you guys to know that because a lot of times if you're just one time diagnosed with something like that, it can stop you from getting a job. It can stop you from a lot of stuff. And it can also stop you from getting the right medical care when you go in someplace. So, okay. Yeah. I'm done with ranting about that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so getting back to, you also mentioned that you had the irritable bowel syndrome. Yes. And my question on that was, do you feel like that interfered with some of the panic disorders? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for me, it was the IBSD, which is a diarrhea prominent one. So certain foods or certain drinks, one day I could have and not have any issues, but then I could have, you know, the same thing the next day and cause issues. Um, for anybody who's got irritable bowel syndrome, you know that up until just recently, there's not been medication. There's no cure for it. And there's really, there really never was any testing for it. So I went from the age of 12, that's just coming on up until my mid, oh, was I almost, I think my thirties, early thirties is when I found out exactly, like got an exact diagnosis. I went to an amazing gastroenterologist who's um, in this area. And he was like, this is what you have. And he's like, there's no real medication for it. You know, they have stuff that they'll prescribe, but insurance wouldn't cover it. So it wasn't even an option. So you have that anxiety and that panic feeling of, you know, if I eat this, can I go to Walmart? If I eat this, can I go watch my kids play basketball? There's constant stress from it. And that ties into it. So I kind of have the similar situation, only I have my gallbladder out. And okay. so if anybody's, have, have you had yours out? No, but apparently that was not causing an issue because they ran every test in the book from the scope, the pill cam, I mean, everything. And okay. so yeah. I have a high tolerance for pain and a low tolerance for medication. Okay. Um, so I was, I want to say in my six year I, I got two degrees and my first degree was in accounting and I worked for a big accounting firm in the big city from us, 20 miles from us. Okay. And anyway, um, I, I had to learn. So we were working in QuickBooks and QuickBooks had some new stuff added. And so I had to learn those to complete my tax taxes for these different companies Mm -hmm. and so I had to take some night classes at the ICC downtown Uh and so I went down there I was I was in class and 
I went straight from work to that. And I think I got off work at five and the class started at six. So I didn't have any time to do anything in between, you know, from driving to one to the other, whatever. Um, The classes were three hours and we'd get like after an hour, half, like a 20 minute break. And then during that time, you know, whatever. So I felt fine, except I had, shoot, you can't see me, but like right beneath my rib, there was just a little bit of a pain. It was small, Mm -hmm. but I have high tolerance for pain. Remember that part. So it was just small. And I thought, you know what? I'm probably hungry. Mm -hmm. And so I went out and I got a snack, came back in, sat down, ate my snack, um, felt a little bit better. And then, you know, class resumed or whatever. And I got out of class and that pain was still there, but it wasn't intolerable. It wasn't stabbing. Mm -hmm. It was just there. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I have a high tolerance for pain. So it really wasn't a big deal. Um, I got home from school like 1030. So my husband was already in bed. My son was already in bed. Um, and I like tried to get in bed real quietly. And I grabbed my book. You know, I do that also for distractions, but it wasn't mm-hmm. that I was just reading a good book. And uh, anyway, long story short, I'm reading and I'm trying to adjust myself. So that pain isn't there. But like I said, it wasn't like, ow, 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 I can't stand it, you know, and bent over in pain. It was just a little irritating pain Mm -hmm. that wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere. And, um, I, I didn't even wake up my husband and tell anybody anything. I just drove myself to the hospital. (laughs) Well, it had to be checked. It wasn't going away. Right. And I knew it wasn't normal. It didn't get worse with eating. It didn't get better with eating. So, and I did take some Tylenol, which I really didn't feel like I needed, but that didn't do anything either. So, so I get there and of course it's a small town and they do not have anybody that does any kind of x-rays or anything during the middle of the night. So what they said was, we're going to give you something for the pain and to relax until seven in the morning when the staff comes in that does. And I'm like, okay, well, I really don't need any pain medication. I I mean, I'm fine. And they're like, well, let's, let's feel the area. So they started feeling the area and pushing. And when they pushed one area, all they did was kind of go like that. And they're like, yeah, that's your gallbladder, but you have, we have to make sure. So of course they had to wait till the next day. So they just automatically, like the doctor came in and he starts, he's like, give her this, give her that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want going on. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't want anything. I'm fine. And he's like, well, you're going to be here all night. And this was like one in the morning. He's like, you're going to be here all night. You need to get some sleep because more than likely you're going to have your gallbladder taken out in the morning. Um, so he said, you know, I'd like to see you get some sleep. And the next thing I know, while he's talking to me, this nurse gives me a shot. And I didn't know what she gave me or anything, but I'm telling you, I am very lightweighted with medications. 
and I the voices started going in and out. It was yeah. awful. I don't see. I don't like the feeling of not having control. I'm with you on that. Okay. And I said, what did I get? And when they told me, I'm like, I told you I didn't want anything. And he said, but I was just giving you something so you could sleep. And I said, I'm not going to be able to sleep with this. And so he said, well, the good thing is it only lasts for about 30 minutes. 30 minutes is a long time when you're like hearing voices and they're going in and out mm-hmm. and you're kind of, I, I freak out easy and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so when that 30 minutes was up, I was like, I'm good. It was gone, you know, and they come in and they're like, so how's your pain? And then, you know, they want you to do that one through 10 or whatever. And, oh, I, right. and I'm like zero. And, and the nurse goes, okay, what, what is it really? And I said, seriously, I have a high tolerance for pain. It's there, but it's tolerable. I'm not like screaming in pain. I'm not going, oh my God, I get the right, you know. And uh, so she said, well, he really wants you to sleep. So what can we do? So I said, okay, when I had my son and I had to end up having a C-section, it was so of late of a decision because he went into distress that they had they didn't have time to give me an epidural, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't have taken anyway. But so they gave me morphine to put me out. And okay. when she went to do that, I said, give me the smallest amount possible. And she said, well, if I do that, you might wake up. And I said, I've had surgery before. And I have woke up, but I don't feel anything. And it's always right for you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) On that, I'd be like, load me up. I don't want to feel anything. (laughs) Okay, but (laughs) but here's the deal. Because I have such a a low tolerance. So, okay. So anyway, so she said that would be like one milligram. And I said, exactly. That's what what I had the last time I had surgery. So just give me one milligram. So she gave me one milligram. I woke up when she was stitching me. But I didn't feel anything. I could just up in the mirror see, you know, that that's what she was what doing. Was going on, yeah, yeah. And the anesthesiologist that was standing next to me is like, "Oh, let me give her the gas." And I'm like, "I'm fine. I don't need the <laughs> gas. I'm fine. I'm I'm laying here. I'm not going to move. I promise." Because that's what they usually worry about. Like somebody's well, right. And I said, yeah. "I'm not going to move. I can see what she's doing. It's kind of interesting." And. uh Anyway, so she got done. They didn't give me anything more. And here's here's a good thing about that is I don't have any kind of nausea, a nausea, you know, I don't feel nauseous. Right, yeah. I don't feel tired. I feel great. You know, That's good. I, I can drink water right away. I can do all those yeah. things. So she was like, gosh, I wish all the patients were like that. Yeah, okay. I'm the one who's getting sick when coming out from, I've, I've never had surgery, but like when I had my colonoscopy, it knocked me right. out. And the first thing I did when I woke up was throw up all over the And place. that's what a lot of people do. That's what a lot of people do with that stuff. And that's, that really is too much. So, and I didn't want to do any of that. Okay. Oh, I don't so, blame you. Okay. So they gave me one milligram to, for the pain. Mm-hmm. And that was perfect. And I went to sleep. And I didn't have any side effects. I didn't have any dreams or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I slept at seven o'clock in the morning. Sure enough, they come in and they say, we're going to take you down for testing. 
and and in the testing they didn't take me back to the emergency room they said we're going to prepare you for surgery and i'm like okay and they said so we've called the doctor in the surgeon not the doctor Mm -hmm. not the emergency room doctor but the surgeon that was going to perform this so that quickly they were able to read it and my my gallbladder actually was leaking and putting poison into my body Oh, that's great. And so they're like, we have to immediately put you on a very high dosage of antibiotic and surgery is scheduled in four hours. So we're just going to keep you here for right in this area for four hours, giving you the intravenous. And then we had to double schedule you because I guess right behind your gallbladder is your liver and there's a little pocket in there. And I had a couple of stones in that little pocket Uh and they said, so a total different surgeon has to take those out. So whoever works on livers. So they said, we've, we've made two surge appointment for two surgeons to come in at the same time. So Mm -hmm. while you're open, the gallbladder be removed. Then the, I don't know what they call liver surgeon. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Probably a gastrologist too. I don't know, but maybe no, yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. But anyway, so he was standing by, and then he was supposed to, with me, opened after the gallbladder was out because that was in the way of that little liver pocket. Then take mm-hmm. those out of there. Okay, so again, I asked for one milligram. <laughs> I, and and they argued with me that this was a different guy down in anesthesiology but uh-huh. you know he argued you're going to end up waking up and blah blah and I said I probably will but it won't be towards the end and I'll be fine and All I right. promise you that if if I'm either feeling something or I said I can see in the mirror so if they're not like even halfway done uh, I'll look over at you and say yes and you can give me something just right. just don't give me all that that you give everybody else so he said okay and he, it's your call. All right. So I, I woke up, but I woke up in recovery, not during surgery, woke up right. recovery and they come over and ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, great. And I felt great. And the nurse is like, you don't feel groggy. And I'm like, no, I'm thirsty. Oh, well, you can't have right. any water. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Cause I don't, I'm it. not. I'm not nauseous. Right. Well, let's just try a little bit of ice cubes. And um, so, and then the nurse, the other nurse walked up and said, no, she cannot have any ice cubes. And I said, why? Well, we had a little bit of a problem. Oh, what was the problem? I mean, I'm feeling great. I'm not feeling nauseous. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling sick, nothing. I don't know where they're getting, I've had a problem. She said, so there was a miscommunication with the surgeons and he, the surgeon that was supposed to take what was in your liver pocket out did not show up. And so he's on his way now. So we're going to have to put you back out. Yeah. Reopen me and go in and take that out. And I said, well, I should still have some of that anesthesia in me. So maybe if I just go back to sleep. 
they're probably like, no. <laughs> yes, exactly. No. And I'm like, it's really okay. And they're like, well, no, it's really not. Because even if you don't think you're in pain, if your body feels pain, your heart rate can go up and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So what we'll do is because you still have some in you. Because I said, you know, I've seen people have died on, on the table because of anesthesia. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to die because you guys give me more anesthesia because it's you guys' fault, not them exactly. But yeah, the hospital's you would think they, that they would wait to like the next day on that surgery, but I'm not a doctor, so I, I can't say either way. But well, no, it would make me nervous. It, it made me nervous, but I wanted to hurry up and get it over with. I understand um, that. Well, because they, they said that that was causing inflammation, pushing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So no, I wanted it over with. So, so anyway, they gave me a half a milligram then instead of a milligram. So they gave me a half a milligram. And again, now this time I woke up right as they were closing me up and I didn't, I didn't feel anything. And then I, you know, went into recovery and I had my drink right away and everything. And this was supposed to be an outpatient surgery. The only reason it was inpatient at the time was because the night when I went in the middle of the night, they couldn't, they didn't have anybody there to do the testing. Right. They were just, you know, wanting to keep me out of pain. Plus they had to give me the medication for the antibiotic. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they came in after about 10 minutes, one of the nurses and said, so the doctor said, if you're really not feeling any nausea or anything that um, we can go ahead and take you up to a room, it'll just be for like three or four hours, just, you know, for you to rest and us to kind of keep vitals on you and stuff. And then you can go home. I'm like, okay. So they, they bring a wheelchair and I'm like, can I walk? What are you doing? You, you don't walk <laughs> after you've had surgery. And I said, I do. I'd be sitting in that chair, but like, wheel me up, man. <laughs> I do not do well with pain. But see, I do. Plus, I've learned, I've had four surgeries. I've learned that the quicker you get that out of your system, the better you feel. Right. And so I, I said, I promise you, if you walk next to me, because I'm sure I would be lightheaded or something. Yeah, a little while. That's why they yeah. want to. Yeah. I said, if you walk right next to me, I will tell you if I start feeling, cause I don't want to fall and hit my head. I'm not stupid. Right. So they took me, they, I was able to walk. They never did have to hold on to me. They stood right next to me, one on each side. I did fine. Walked into the room. <clears throat> they said, do you want to, you know, let's go ahead and get in bed. And I'm like, do I have to? They're like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to walk around the nurse's station a couple of times. Excuse me. They were like, no, Christy, you just had, you were just opened up twice. You need to, you need to rest. And I said, I don't need to wake up pain from having anesthesia inside of me. So if I walk around, then then the anesthesia will get out. Then I'll go home when it's time to go home and I'll sleep and I won't have any of that. They're like, what do you mean? And I said, because you guys should know this. If you, if you lay down too much after anesthesia, it settles in your chest. Then you get chest pain. Oh, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, I want to walk around a couple of times and then I'll probably be good to go. 
And they're like, oh, so now you're diagnosing yourself. But uh, the nurse that was supposed to be my nurse with that room came over and she said, do you really feel like walking? And I said, absolutely. And she said, then I'll walk with you. And she, we walked around four times and she said, honey, you can go home. You don't, you don't need anything here. I feel like it's the best place to recover anyway. You're in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home when, when they were checking me out, they're like, here's a thing for pain pills. And I'm like, throw it away. You know, I don't need pain pills. They're like, you were just opened up twice. You need pain pills. And I said, I don't need pain pills. I promise you, I won't take them. So you're wasting the money. Right. And I didn't take any. And I wasn't panicky or anything. I went home. I was tired. Mm -hmm. You know, once I got home, that was probably for me doing all the walking. And well, yeah, you 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 just have surgery. Yeah. 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 Nothing, nothing major, yeah. but yeah, no, I was, you know, one of the first thing they did inquire about was gallbladder. But for me, like I said, I, I have to have that, which I was glad because I've never, like I said, I've never had surgery. The, the most under I've been has been for a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. That's it. Never been cut open. I really don't ever want to. <laughs> I made that story long, but where I was getting at was with that gallbladder is that's kind of like ir- irritable bowel syndrome. And yeah. They didn't give, all they told me was just so you know, the gallbladder breaks down all the fatty foods and stuff that you eat. Mm -hmm. And so without you having one, there's going to be a lot of foods that aren't going to agree with you. And they're going to come straight through you and it'll happen within Mm -hmm. seconds. Yeah. And I was like, oh, didn't know that part. Guess, guess what my aunt brings me the very first thing the next day. Probably something that didn't agree with you. Oh, yeah. I, I wish they could have given you a list, though, because all they said was fatty foods. Well, to me, about right. every food's fatty foods. But she made me my favorite dish, which is cheesy potatoes. That'll do it. And clap. Oh, my, and, and it smelled so good. And it was warm and the whole nine yards. Yeah. And, and I had me some of that. And it wasn't five minutes and I was like rushing to the bathroom, which I didn't need to be rushing. And yeah, for the next hour. That's basically, yeah, life with IBSD. It's like I said, it's literally like playing roulette. You just, you never know. But see, the difference with me is, so that's been six years. I know what foods that I can't eat. Right. And I just stay away from them. And then, yeah, and that, that helps out a lot. Cause yeah, the less damage you can do. That way, I, mean, it's I, had, always I had to go through rushing to the bathroom and, and sometimes pulling over on the side of the road and going outside. Mm-hmm. It would be that yeah. or in the seat of my car. Yeah. So yep. I did. It's, have to go it's rough. Yep. So you think of the amount of stress and anxiety that yeah. that causes you and you tie that in with everything else. Oh my gosh, it's it's a really bad combination. So now I get why you can tie those two in together. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like I said, my, my Lexapro has seemed to improve mm-hmm. um, that a lot. Like when I was pregnant, I rarely had issues. So I'd really like to know what the correlation is there between being pregnant and not having a lot of symptoms, but did you but eat differently? I ate whatever I want when I was pregnant. Did you? 
Like I would polish off a whole Papa John's pizza on my own or I could not do that before without being sick for like a week straight. Oh gosh. But you know, it's, it, it's just, I don't know. It's odd, but I don't have that much of the stress and anxiety around that. There are still, like I said, there are foods that I will not eat that I just know will make me sick. Whereas right. before I could be like, well, I'll just stay home. Now it's like, nope, I'm just not going to eat them. So yeah, I mean, you, you, I'm lucky in that aspect to know what I can and can't eat. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of stress on the body. And I don't think people, I think people just think stress mentally, which there is a lot of stress, but that all is connected. So you got stress up here. You're going to have stress in the rest of your body. I'm going to tell you what, your body if, I been Ill, um, if I was, if I needed to go to the bathroom and I, and I wasn't anywhere near, I would definitely go into panic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I maybe not the same type of panic mode, but I would definitely right. go into panic. Okay. Yep. So getting back to the panic disorder, then um, did you start, when did you start going to a counselor? That was more of a recent thing. Um, it's well this year. So it was probably in your second year then. No, 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 no. Just this past year. So I, your third year. Yeah. I didn't do any counseling before. Like I said, you know, I was able to somewhat get back to my normal within a a decent amount of time. But at the time, of course, we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. My kids were in school full time. We just didn't have the stress. You know, we had an upcoming election going into this, you know, this past year and everything. So, I mean, I just stopped watching the news. I just literally just had to put blinders on for everything because I just everything. felt so much stress. Yes. So I wasn't March, even having panic attacks and I was done with all of it. Like, yeah. Literally. So like I said, end of October into the beginning of November of last year is when this all started over again. And I had a massive panic attack. So was anybody uh, with I, you at the time? Yeah, actually, all my kids and my husband, we were all just laying in bed watching TV. And it was like, here came the shade and there came the tingles and boom, I was gone. And that one, we almost called the ambulance on because it was massive. I was like, what is going on? And it wasn't until I got into with a counselor, you know, she asked me, you know, I, I started with her probably about six weeks after my appointment at the end of March. So I've been going to her for what, six some months now. And it wasn't until she, you know, she asked me, she's like, you know, what do you, what do you think triggered it? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I really didn't have anything really stressful, but then I, she's asking me all these questions about what I was doing a year ago. And I'm like, well, you know, my dad moved out of state and my mom had already moved out of state and we had this crazy upcoming election and and I'm just like, and we had pandemic. I'm just like, okay, so you know, she's taking, yeah. So she's taking, you know, the stress that she's heard about from like, you know, when my parents got divorced and up through teenage years and just all this never ending stress. And then you factor in, you know, losing like my grandparents who I was super close with and, you know, my childhood best friend, she was killed in a car accident. So like you take all of this stress that is happening every, if not every year, every couple of years, and eventually it's just going to build up and it's just going to like fester. And she just told me, she's like, you know, you had a lot of life changes in the last two years, you know, 
from, you know, my mom and stepdad moving down to Florida and then, you know, my dad moving out to Wyoming and, you know, the kids being home part of the time. She goes, you may not think of it as a stressful situation. You may be sad about it. She's like, but it's causing you stress, you know? So it's not until I actually was talking out loud. I'm just like, okay, you know, and you never really think of things from your past being stress you know, or being stressful for you when they in the present. Much later. Yeah. And, and here I am, you know, but when I really think about it, you know, I think of my best friend every single day. I named my youngest daughter after her. And even though I don't think of her when I, you know, her name is Jennifer. I don't, when I talk to my youngest, mm-hmm. but I, I pretty much still do think of her every single day. And she's been gone going on 12 years. And I'm like, okay, but is that really causing me stress? And it's not that it's necessarily causing me stress, but it's causing stirring some emotion inside mm-hmm. where it may be causing a little bit of anxiety and panic of, of losing her and same with all the other stressful situations. So I'm learning how to try to cope with that and cope with stuff that I'm still struggling with. Some of that, my childhood, like, some of that sounds like, because you said your parents got divorced, right? Yes. Okay. You lost your best friend. Yes. That sounds to me like there's fear of abandonment. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the first things I kind of looked up when we started um, kind of getting through all this. Now, neither one of my parents abandoned me when they got divorced. However, my mom got custody. Yeah. Well, like, you know, my, my mom got custody. My dad did not. You know, so it's you go from what's norm. Because didn't you say you were like nine? Yeah, I was nine when that all went And at nine Mm -hmm. years old, when, and and I don't know your relationship, you know, with your dad or anything, but at nine years old, it doesn't matter which parent it is, you stop seeing less of one of them, unless they have total joint custody. Right, which was not the case. Right. So I don't know how often you were seeing him, but, and and a lot of times when a divorce goes on like that, they don't see them as much as they're even supposed to because some things can be coming up. Right. Um, you know, and so on and so forth. But you can still feel that when you're used to having dad around every night or mom around oh, yeah. every night. Yep. And at nine years old, a lot of times a child will think, what did I do? Did I right. that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and those are things that we don't even think about and they fester. Yeah. And it really does. You know, my dad and I are very, very close. Um, and, and he was well, there you go. always there. Yeah. And he was always there for his visit. We saw him more than they, they did your standard two days a week and every other weekend. But any chance, you know, he got to take us, he would, you know, like if my mom had to work or whatever. Um, how far away? And, yeah. How far away were you guys? How far away did you guys live from each other? Oh, not far. I mean, when, you know, my dad for a while there has stayed with my grandparents who I were incredibly close with and they lived just outside of uh, town. Um, And then we lived in like the middle of town. Um, So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like hours and hours away. It was like a 10 minute drive. Um, But yeah, you know, that was one of the first things I started researching because I'm thinking back, you know, because I have a degree in psychology. I was like, you know what? You would think that this stuff would just become like pop in your head. Like, oh, it's this, but it's hard to be you're not neutral when it's inside your own brain and body. But 
I, you know, it does make sense. And, you know, and especially when you lose someone close to you, like, you know, I do with my best friend, you know, cause it was sudden and I didn't get to say goodbye. And it's like, you know, it's not that, you know, that people think of like abandonment, right. you know, syndrome and they think, oh, it's because someone left them For willingly. Good. It's like, no, it's just like, you know, when you lose it, something or someone, you could lose a house, you know, you could lose you know right it it just it's all so yeah as you say that stuff just kind of simmers if you don't address it Mm -hmm. and for me I stuff just gets bottled up you know I'll I'll talk about it but you know when you're a a product of divorce when both sides aren't exactly fond of each other you know it just it's I still see some of that into my adult years. You know, I'm thinking back, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I was nine years old and this is what I was seeing and hearing. And I'm like, you know, no. So, you know, you have that anxiety. That's a lot for a nine-year-old. It it really is. You know, and my siblings were younger and they don't, like my brother had a few panic attacks here a couple of years ago, but I think it was more so because they were getting ready to move. <laughs> Um, just like the excitement of that, but you know, my, my sister does fine, but she was really young, like four going on five. So, I mean, she was really young, doesn't quite remember too much of it. And I'm so glad for that. Let but me it's ask like, you she, this. Did, did your uh, mother or your father get married again shortly after they were divorced? No, my dad, I, I think it was like, my mom went to say like 19 years. Let me do the math. It was a long time because my mom had custody of us for four years. Then uh, we went to live with my dad after those four years. And literally from like a four-year gap of the custody battle. And then up until I was 18. Yeah. So maybe it wasn't 19 years. Maybe that's how long they've been divorced. But anyway, I was just graduated from high school at 18. So it had been about nine years. So yeah, it's been about before he got married. And my mom was shortly thereafter. So it wasn't until we were older, you know, and, you know, they, Wait they a minute, dated. Your mom was and, shortly after your dad got remarried or shortly after the yeah. divorce? No, shortly after my dad got remarried. Okay. I think it was like, I think they both got remarried with like two years of each other. I, I can't quite remember. So that, so you guys were kind of lucky in that aspect yes. that there wasn't yeah. somebody new coming in to taking one of the other's place. No, I mean, you know, they dated like any normal young parent would date you know but it it was more so just focus on work and being a parent and you know yeah so you know it's by the time I was 12 going on 13 is when I you know when we went live with my dad and my mom went you know to nursing school and now she's doing the stuff that she's doing today because of it and you know my dad's doing the things that he's wanting to do but, you know, it's still crazy because, you know, even though I don't think about the divorce often, I'm, I'm applying some of those fears into like, you know, being a parent and being married, you know, so you're still kind of dealing with it on a level. It's like, you know, well, I saw this happening with my parents and they got divorced. So do I want to be doing this? So I didn't need to think of it on that level until I'm talking to my counselor and she's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm like, it wasn't even a thought. So it's still causing me stress, but it's just something I, I got to focus on kind of separating myself from so that I'm not trying to be like, okay, I can't be doing this because of this. 
Because that just causes stress and anxiety. And we all know I don't need any more of that. <laughs> right. Okay. So one of the things that we need to do then is to give our audience and anybody who does go through panic attacks or panic disorder or anxiety disorder is some tools. Yes. So I would like you to go through the tools that you use. And I know that we did um, talk about some of them, but (laughs) if I'm, cause I'm going to put them in our notes on the podcast. Okay. So if you can just kind of go down the line of what worked for you or it's still working. So I I understand that you're still having some issues, but Mm -hmm. things are getting better. Is that correct? Yeah, I feel like things are getting better. You know, it's, I didn't have like an upage of medication or anything. I didn't have a, you know, they didn't change me to something different because this isn't working. I just, you know, it, it's a work in progress. That's how I always put it. And I think it's always, yeah, I think it's always going to be a work in progress because you're never going to, at least for me, I know I'm never going to ever forget that I've having panic attacks, but I've been, you know, that year of 2019, that last half, I've been there where I know that I can go about my day like nothing's going to bother me. And that's where I ultimately want to get again. And I'll get there. Just may take a little longer. So um, the number one thing, number one tool or whatever you want to call it, thing that I use for myself now personally is when I feel a panic attack coming on, the first thing I tell myself is, it's okay. Don't fight it. And that is not going to be something that someone is going to be able to do right away. It is a learning process, but it was one of the very first things that was told to me by my aunt who dealt with them. And I would just try to repeat it in my head or say it out loud because even though you you feel like everything's crashing down. You feel like you're having a heart attack. You feel like you're dying. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through it. And not trying to clinch up and fight it is going to be one of the best tools that you can have to coming out of it. But before getting to that level, you know, at all, you, there are some things that I do. Um, I will read, um, And I just don't read, I mean, I love to read pretty much anything, but I find a book that I fully get engaged in. So you have to focus, you have to find something that you is interesting and will hold your attention to distract yourself from what you're going through. Yes, exactly. Um, Just because if you just try to pick up and read any old thing, I, I feel like you, I don't, I didn't want to make the association of reading and not working for a panic attack. Right. Because I love to read. Because um, I don't want anybody to think that uh, while they're going through panic attacks, they need to read something on panic attacks because that's going to make it worse. Yes. Oh, yes. Don't do that. You know, like I said, try to just completely, if you can, shut out any thoughts of panic attacks while you're having it. Like, you know, don't go reading up on, you know, like how to properly how get do through. You, and I'm just asking you, cause I know what I had to do, but, but, but when you're feeling all these things, how do you stop from being afraid that you're going to die? It's very hard. And I have still yet to beat that fear. Now on the, on the more lighter ones, the ones that are mild, 
I, I don't get that deep right. into worry, right. but with the bigger ones, it just kind of came with time. Like I made it through three massive panic attacks and I'm like, okay, so when I have a big one, I'm like, this one is, I tell myself, this is not going to be any different. And here's what's happened the last three times. And this is how I got out of it. Or I've fallen asleep. I said, and this is what I'm going to do again. Consistency. I don't get, <laughs> I, you know, seriously, I think I just get so worn out from it that my body and my body are just like, yep, we're done. And I fall asleep, which is just, but, but when you wake up, gone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's been maybe a few times where I've woke up panicky, but I will sleep all night. In, in most cases, mine come on in the evenings. Like, you know, you made that comment before about how you could go and go and go and go and not have any anxiety or panic attacks. Then when you chill, your body's like, oh, bam. And then one comes right. on. That happens to me every now and then. Like if I've got just craziness going all day and it seems like when I lay down or try to decompress, that anxiety and panic attack starts creeping up. And I'm like, what is going on? I should be so tired. I shouldn't be worrying about any of this. But for whatever reason, it happens. So I am able to, in most cases, fall asleep. But Crazy. You just, like I said, you just got to try to train your brain, whether it's a word search. Um, that would panic me. Oh yeah. See, I, what I, for me, it's, it's the um, exercise of trying to get my brain to be like, okay, find this letter. You know, I, I, I use the example all the time, but when I got stuck in the Starbucks parking lot or drive through and you can't get out of there and I got stuck there for, you know, 20 minutes on a weekend and I'm trying to count all the E's in the store signs on the, you know, the, <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm looking at all the arrows in the car, you know, something, find something in the room to point out and count or, you know, find something that's going to get your mind or your brain working on something else other than fighting a panic attack. Because the more you fight, I have found the more for me, it just makes it worse. So why couldn't you just find a relaxation or meditation thing on your phone if you were out like that? Um, honestly, I was so panicked in that moment that I didn't even think about it. I needed something that I could physically could be in control of, you know, so the music was nice. Um, it, it, it's nice to have, you know, I, I try to meditate as often as I can just to kind of calm everything and chill everything out. It doesn't always happen. <laughs> we're usually busy, you know, five out of the seven days a week. So if I'm lucky, if I get every two weeks of getting one night of meditation in those weeks, but well, I, guess I have to I'm be in control. About is like during the moment when I. Um, when, when I feel. Um, no, I haven't had them in years. And I used to not even be able to talk. If I started, if somebody would ask me to describe them, I would actually write one. So yeah, I used to be like that too. That's so why it's, I asked you, it's better. I didn't want you to be able to, or to go into that. Yeah. Now that I'm not having them, I, I think I, I feel wonderful to be able to help people that have, because yeah. I, I know how terrified I was and how mm-hmm. awful it was. And I get it. Like, yeah. I really get it. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Anybody. No, it's awful. Um, but I, so some of those things that you're naming with you, uh, mine were too bad to do something like that. 
Right. It, yeah. And it's definitely going to be different for everyone. When these were, like I said, new to me, I would have not ever considered getting out a crossword or, you know, my main focus was laying down, trying to breathe through it. And, but what I learned was that I needed more. And sometimes I had to push myself and it was scary, but you know, what, what, what definitely helps is another thing that people need to do is breathing. Right. You know, yes. I went, I can do um, that. yes. And cause you know, I, I learned, um, I downloaded the headspace app cause I went looking for stuff to do meditation and to try to help, uh, with panic attacks. Cause some of the, uh, apps like calm and headspace have like the SOS emergency meditations for when you're having panic attacks or anxiety. So that's where I learned my breathing exercise. Okay. So stop a minute. So, so what we're telling the audience, one of them is called headspace and you can get that through your app store, either through your Android or your Apple. Yes. Um, What was the other one called? Calm. C-A-L-M. Oh, I have that. Yeah. So if you that, look at that see- again is, is like, I think what you described headspace, you only get so much and then yes. you have to subscribe to get. Yeah. And, you know, I'm using the calm app now because <clears throat> I'm trying that one out. I have the, I did have the premium for headspace, um, but I only have just the bare minimum on it now. Um, I do like headspace better. Um, that? I don't know. I just felt like it was more relaxing. Like, you know, Calm has a lot of like, you know, the celebrity people doing your sleep stories and whatnot. And I, while I enjoy them, I, I don't know, for me, just the headspace, I just felt more comfortable using. And I liked, you know, their stuff as opposed to the Calm. Now, one thing with Calm, I do like their guided meditation exercises that you can do daily. Um, so I, I would highly a lot recommend- of yoga in those. Yes. And I, so I would highly recommend either one of those because they will teach you breathing exercises, you know, so I do the breathing for four, holding for four and then breathing out, you know, six through my mouth. And I would have never thought to do that, but that I learned on Headspace, they had you do that to relax, to go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, well, my main goal is to get through my panic attacks so I can go to sleep. So we're going to try this. And those are the breathing exercises that I now use with every panic attack. And once I feel like I'm chilled out enough, then I move on to the other things that I like to do, whether it's the read or the crossword or pick an item in the room, you know, five items that begin with the letter B and describe them like as if no one has ever heard of them before. Work your brain on a different level to try to bring you out of that craziness that is a panic attack mm-hmm. okay so thank you for giving those um you're welcome i want people also to know because these are kind of short term if you don't pay for a subscription it's mm-hmm. one of the things that i noticed i would get involved in one of them and then like they wouldn't the more that you listen the more the less they gave you and pretty soon it was like you know you really needed to get the subscription to yeah especially like the bedtime stories yeah I love the sleep stories I, I do like them yeah but they quit or or they just I have a very very short version 
and it's not it's not long enough for me. Oh, with like calm, yeah, you know, with Headspace, they gave you a couple options, and then once you've exhausted those options, they cut you down to the one, which right. luckily for me is my favorite one. It's called Rain Day Antiques, and I just feel like it, it's such a descriptive story. Like if I'm in a panic attack, I will literally put that on at times. And I can just visualize myself walking down this cobblestone street, going into this antique shop and just, and that helps because then it's almost like you take yourself, like I said, out of the element of a panic attack and kind of put yourself here. Right. And anything you can do to, you know, bring that heart rate down, you know, regulate your breathing, you know, and you're going to find out what works for you and what, you know, what doesn't, what I do may not work at all for anybody else, but there are so many different ways that you can come off of, you know, these different ideas that you can come up with your own stuff. But see, that's, that's where I'm disagreeing with you. That's, that's why I wanted to do this because <laughs> people that don't go for help or get the right counselor are not going to get these tools. That's what, here, right. that's why we're here. So absolutely. Even though maybe w- what tool you may be saying may not work for somebody, you're at least giving some that will work for somebody. Yeah. Whereas absolutely. the same thing that I'm going to give may not work for everybody, but will work for some too. And that's our goal right. here is to help these people with tools that yeah. either aren't seeking help elsewhere or they aren't getting it. You don't always get right. the right counselor for you. Exactly. You know, so. and there, you know, there are some people who, you know, can't afford to go get help. Right. Well, you know, that's and- why I do free life co- coaching for those mm-hmm. that can't afford it. Um, so you guys, if you're listening, if you follow me on Instagram under struggle winner, you can always DM me. Now, I'm not out there to just have anybody call for every little thing, but if it's something that somebody's going through that's important, I will take that phone call no matter what it is. So um, to know that, um, I think Melinda's going to give you her information. Um, Don't abuse it, please. Um, she probably she sleeps at night so she probably won't answer whereas I'm up till two or three in the morning oh yeah I'm usually out at that point or you know if I am up it's because I'm fighting for the bed you know (laughs) so yeah um but the other so one of the things I want to suggestion suggest is that there's also YouTube out there that is free um and you can get hypnosis for so many different things. And it works. Believe me, I use it a lot. I I use it when I've worked out and, and I've got pain all over. I've worked it. I used it for headaches. You know, I've used it for total relaxation for so many things, grieving, all those things. So, and those are free. The other thing is you've now been introduced to podcasting. There is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts you can search for podcasts for mindfulness, for hypnosis, for meditating. Um, but also, just like you're reading a book, I can give you guys several different podcasters that are so interesting to listen to. Some are funny and some are just rambling and talking, but it keeps your mind off of other stuff. Absolutely. And I can go to sleep with their voices. 
-hmm. you know, I, I'm, and they don't, it doesn't keep me awake. It like puts me out. So I want you guys to think about that too. Um, And I'm actually going to start doing a podcast of meditation. So um, the life struggles are good and it's working. And this is to help people. The reason I'm going to do the meditation thing is because this is kind of embarrassing, but that's okay. I've had several people that have called to talk to me, fall asleep on me while they're talking to me Mm -hmm. and I'll hear them fall asleep. And I can tell they've fallen asleep. And so, you know, I'll right. just hang up. And then pretty soon they'll call back and they'll go, did I fall asleep? And I'm like, yeah, apparently I'm pretty boring. And they're like, no, it's your voice. Your voice is very calming. Yeah. There you so go. I was, it was suggested to me that I do some calming meditation podcasts. So that's a good idea. So I'm going to try that even though my voice is deep. I don't know. So, okay. So that's the other thing. Um, the last thing I think both of us agree on is um, it's a matter of, of what's in your mind too. Yes. So mindfulness, um, what, what did we call them? Affirmations. Yes. Daily affirmations are before, super important. Before we go into that, I did want to ask you one other thing. Did, mm-hmm. did you have any low self-esteem as you were growing up? Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I have learned that that has been a big part of anxiety too. Yeah, well, so, you know, I, you know, my nickname is Bird, so there, there's my embarrassing moment thing there. But I literally got that nickname because I had these tiny little bird legs. Oh my gosh! And, yeah, I not believe this. Go ahead. I didn't hit like the hundred pound mark until like my sophomore year of high school, so I was always getting teased. If it wasn't for, you know, my clothes, it was because of how tall and lanky and being Polish I was. And it just, but no, I've, I've, I was called chicken legs. Oh, were you? Yes. (laughs) My mom and dad and everyone, they they call me bird. And, you know, I love my nickname, but it was, you know, when you're little, you don't really think about it. You know, you got those tiny little bird legs. But when I got into, you know, grade school and elementary school and junior high and all that. I got teased for it. Junior high guys, guys, guys called me Twiggy and I didn't know who Twiggy was. I just knew by the the way they were making fun of me and stuff that it wasn't good, but I was, I was afraid to go home and tell my mom because I didn't want her to go to the school. And so I, I held it in for a really long time. And then one, one day I just like had a breakdown I think it was out at I think during kickball or something and one of them you know made fun of me and I had I tripped and I fell and I got embarrassed and the whole nine yards Mm -hmm. and anyway long story short I went home told my mom that time and I I said and they keep calling me Twiggy and she started laughing and I said it's not funny it's bad and she said actually the next time somebody calls you Twiggy you turn around and you say thank you because she was actually a model, which I didn't know. Yeah, very she beautiful supermodel. Yes. And very, su- yeah. And she's yeah. so she like, so, so, so just say thank you. And I'm yeah. like, oh. So I had to look, I had to look her up because I had never heard of her. And she was yeah. super skinny. And, yeah. and I think that was the protocol back then. You know, models yeah. now do not have to be skinny. They can be yeah. of all sizes. Absolutely. But at any rate, I, so I got the same thing. That's really weird. 
Yep, that's, but yeah, you know, but that also creates, you know, a lot of stress when you're getting picked on. Now in high school, it, it was, you know, by the time my sophomore year came around, it didn't even, I got to the point where I was like, eh, you know, I don't well, you know, but when you're younger and you factor in all the stuff that, you know, I'd gone through with my parents' divorce and, you know, we moved a lot and, you know, all this just stress of being a kid in general. Yeah, I can see that there being a correlation with that because, you know, you, you're going along and you think things are going good and they're like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, you look like you got bird legs or chicken legs or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh. but, you it, know. It, but it does stay inside there when you take it as a negative comment. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and even if, you know, and we don't talk about it, it just festers. And so yeah. that's a problem. But the other thing, you know, it depends on the council you go to because, um, if you took psychology, you should know this. There was many different, there were seven different forms of psychology that you can use. And the psychiatrists mm-hmm. that came up with them, yes. you know, like Freud, I would never go by what he you know, like he thinks everything revolves around sex. Right. Yeah. There's, you you know, there's not that. all that. Yeah. And, and I don't really believe that we have to go back to everything that happened to us during our childhood right um you can you can and there's nothing really wrong with it but that turns a lot of people off when they Mm -hmm. have to sit there and go through all that stuff and they're like i i just want this solved and so that's where i feel like comes in okay so if you're having anxiety what's what do you what's going on that's causing you anxiety and then okay here's the tools to take care of that anxiety and get to the Mm -hmm. point so yes like with us that's what I want to do is then okay you've got anxiety lots of people have anxiety lots of people right now have reason to have anxiety Mm -hmm. you know the more than any other year possible the last couple of years have been the worst anxiety. It's been brutal. Anger. Yeah. Yes. It's what's going on in the world. Yeah. And it's not going to change real soon. It's not right, going to no. change real soon. So it kind of feel like we're in for the long haul on this one. <laughs> right. So people need to know how to control it and what they can do to help themselves. And that's what hopefully we're going to get out of this. Hopefully, hopefully. you know what? I cut down a lot on my social media which is why, you know, we were talking about Instagram and before this and how I hadn't posted in a while. And I, I literally, it, it was causing, like I said, just a lot of stress. And I'm, you know, cause I'm seeing, you know, whether it's religion or politics or just personal preferences on anything and everything, there wasn't ever just this, okay, you feel this way. That's great. I feel this way. That's fine. We're adults. It's just so much animosity and stress exactly. and whether people want to believe it or not, that will cause you so much anxiety just scrolling through aimlessly just negativity after negativity after negativity that will wear on you that's why I go on and I post and if there's any of my friends that pop up I like theirs and I go on because you're you're exactly right one time I made the mistake of course this this town we live in you know is racist Yes, we we have our years. we have our problems. Yes, um, it is getting better, but it's been known forever as a very racist town. Mm-hmm. And 
So making this long story short, I have, so I remember I told you my, my, my mom has 50 or had 15 brothers and sisters. So Mm -hmm. I have a lot of cousins, a lot of cousins, a lot of family, and we have mixed marriages. Okay. And I don't know. I th- I think that comes from your upbringing on how you react to that because none of our mixed marriages have had bullying or problems. They're they're educated. Uh, they're not going around blaming their ancestors. You know, blaming our oh. ancestors. None right. of that. And I think that's because of how they were raised. But they were raised not to do that. That you mm-hmm. know that was a long time ago, and it just didn't happen to a certain color of people it happened to all of us there mm-hmm. there was white maids and white servers you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. um, right. all, all different colors yellow and black and whatever it is um, so that's how we were brought up and how we taught mm-hmm. our children mm-hmm. and that we were all equally the same right um, so none of us have been bullied about that as far as I know, nobody's ever complained about it. Now, maybe it's happened right. and I don't know about it, but I would think I would. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, during the Black Lives Matter movement, when all that with George Floyd happened, and every every time you opened up a platform, there was Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. something about it, which they do. Don't get me wrong. To me, right. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to get in trouble, but I feel like all lives matter. And I understand that it's not saying the same thing as Black Lives Matter, but I was so tired of hearing just all, you know, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. I, I made a thing saying, I believe that, but I also believe that everybody's lives matter. Right. Um, And I didn't see anything wrong with that, but a woman that lives in this town saw that and got right on there and just started making all these accusations and hateful right. comments to me, not knowing that I actually come from a family that has mixed marriages and I know all about black lives. And right. I also know about the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I went, you know what? <laughs> I'm not even going to read this stuff anymore. I'm going to do yeah. my posting and just get off. Right. Well, um, you know, intentions, you know, were high. You know, I feel like that it's not as as high now. Um, but tensions during that time, when in regards to George George Floyd, it, it was crazy. It was awful. Um, it it was it, there. You rarely found somebody who was kind of in the middle. It was either really far over here, or you're really far over here. And you know, and I, you know, I'm familiar with the movement. I, you know, I didn't follow it 100, percent but you know, I can understand how. Like we are trying to bring awareness to right. panic attacks and whatnot. So that's our main topic of discussion. Right. They were trying to bring, you know, to light the injustices that, you know, colored people deal with, you know, on sometimes a daily basis. And that's where I think a lot of this hate is just coming from where it's like, you know, we're so worried about why people are focusing on this over here, but what's going on over here that we could be better using our time for or whatever, you know, you know, go ahead and, you know, focus on whatever it is that you want, but I'm not going to, you know, get on and be a keyboard warrior for someone who is saying, you know, all lives matter or black lives matter or police lives matter. You know, if 
if that's what you're wanting to talk about and that's what you're, you know, saying that that's great. That's you. That's what, that's what we have free will to do what, you know, we're going to do. And we have the right somewhere along the line, we're losing that freedom of speech. Yeah. Well, you know, because you can't say anything anymore, it seems without somebody being like, you know, and I'm sure there may be something on here that I've said that would work for me when, and someone's going to be like, you're crazy. You're wrong. And that's fine because, you know, we're all right to their, and we're all going to be different. Exactly. So it's like, you know, not ever going to be able to to please everybody. Well, exactly. You know, so yeah, people that just like to say negative comments just to say them. Yeah. So that's why, you know, like I said, I cut out a good amount of social media. Now you'll find me on Pinterest a lot, but I can control what I see on there. I'm like, oh, here's this thing that's going to be my next Pinterest fail, as opposed to seeing a political post where people are at each other's throats. Right. You know, so that's, that's a big thing for me, you know, and not only just from your mental well-being point of view, but you're staring at a screen and your brain is just firing on all cylinders at that point, because it's just it's um what's the word I'm looking for um yeah and I've lost it um but it uh stimulates 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 your brain Mm -hmm. so you're doing all this before you go into bed and you're hopped up because of what you're seeing you're not going to get a night's sleep you're not going to feel great in the morning and for me like I said a good night's sleep getting the proper amount of sleep is crucial to me, not having massive panic attacks all the time. It's crucial So all of this. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, think of the things in your life that you're doing that could potentially be causing you any type of stress, whether it's a massive amount of stress or just a small amount of stress and take the steps you can to maybe not necessarily eliminate it, but lessen that load a little bit. Okay. Do you think that we covered everything there is? Um, I think so. One thing I will say though, is, you know, reach out if you need it, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people that still don't like to talk about mental illness, but there's a huge movement for that right now as there should be, you know, because we're, we're dealing with an increased rate of, you know, mental illness this year within the last couple of years and ever really since, you know, social media took off, you know, what I think we're more accepting of it. Yeah. Because it's always been there. It's always been there. Yes. Yeah. But to be able to outwardly talk about it, or if you don't want to outwardly talk about it, but you you want some help, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to reach out. You know, and it's not like you have to call these hotline numbers. Just talk about it at your doctor's office. Because like I said, you know, I I had the depression screening when I went for in for my last appointment. And, you know, just be honest. And if you're dealing with panic attacks and you don't know where to start, you know, you can do research or you can, you know, get a hold of you or get a hold of myself, you know, to see what, you know, your first steps can be. But don't be scared to ask for help because believe it or not, you know, the person who lives next door to you or two blocks up probably is going through the same thing that you are and you don't even know it. Right. And that was perfect. Yeah. And once you get that help and you get to a point where you're feeling good, then you can help others, you know, cause it just going at it alone or trying to do it on your own in most cases is, is not going to be beneficial and it may not work. And that's the main thing we all need to do now is just to help each other. It's, it's a mm-hmm. big, bad world out there right now. Yeah. We need, all of us need all the help we can get. 
Yeah. And like you said, all the insurance companies don't cover it. So a, a lot of like the forms that we're talking about are places that people can go to, to get that help and it not cost them. So. Yes, absolutely. You know, and it would, you'd be amazed at what just talking to somebody who's gone through it can do for your mental well-being. just knowing that you're not alone, knowing that you're not crazy and, you know, doing these little steps or doing these little exercises that, you know, take maybe five, 10 minutes out of your day that could do short and long-term benefits. I mean, you know, it, we, we need it to a point where insurance companies and the healthcare companies cover this stuff, um, from counseling to medication to just, you know, doctor's visits in general. But until we get to that point, you know, every, every little bit helps, you know, every little tidbit of information that we can pass along could, could make a big difference. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me to do this. Yeah. We'll have to find another subject sometime that we can share and help some people out again. And so everybody, um, I will put all the information down that we talked about tonight where you can go for help. And hopefully this has helped you and have a good night. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh Bye-bye.